Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. As we know, workplace investigations take time, are complex and require focus throughout. And the stage which arguably requires the most kind of clarity and focus is the reviewing and reporting stage. So how do we review the evidence and report accordingly? And just how important is it to do so clearly and correctly? So to hopefully answer these questions and many more, we're delighted to be joined by Rebecca Bowman, Workplace Investigator here at Inside HR. Thanks for joining us again, Rebecca. How are you? Hi, Owen. Great to be back. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. Delighted you're back. Uh, and as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And Rebecca, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, your investigatory skills and report writing skills are second to none. So I think um, this will be an interesting one for our listeners. Absolutely. So delighted to, delighted to have you on. So look, we'll jump right in. Um, Mary, I might just come to yourself first. I know we're kind of talking about the reviewing and reporting stage, but just one question I kind of wanted to kick off with is the whole credibility in interviews. Because um, I know it's kind of a tricky topic and something we might have discussed a little bit, but maybe want to go into a little bit more detail on it. So I suppose, Mary, how can we kind of assess credibility in interviews and any kind of key things to remember as a guide for interviews when you're trying to assess that credibility, I suppose? It is a tricky area, Owen, and I'm sure Rebecca will agree with me on that point. Um, you know, and it's something that an investigator needs to be very, very careful uh, about when they're assessing that credibility. In reality, you're not assessing the credibility during the interview stage. At that stage, you're gathering um, information from, you know, each of the parties concerned. So let's say if we take a a, a bullying complaint, for example, when you're looking um, at the credibility, you will be listening to what the complainant, the respondent uh, and the witnesses are saying to you. You will be weighing up um, how consistent they are um, throughout the interview with you and maybe throughout the entire investigation. So, for example, does the story that somebody tells you largely remain the same? Are there inconsistencies in what they're telling you? Um, Do witnesses that they cite back up what they have told you? Um, Does any evidence uh, in other forms uh, support what somebody is saying? And so when you might think about it, you may well be looking at things like uh, CCTV footage, but I do urge caution, as I, I think we've said many times before when it comes to CCTV. But if you, if you are going to, for example, use CCTV footage and, and you're on sound grounds to do that, um, you know, that may back up what one person said versus another person. Um, and you'll be weighing up 
all of the information that you gather when it comes to writing the report. So as part of writing the report, you know, you can't just um, jump in and uh, assess the credibility just like that. You've got to analyse the information that you have on each of the areas in which you're examining. So typically, say, when it comes to bullying, you may have five or six uh, incidents that a complainant has said have occurred. And you will look at each of those incidents, what the complainant says, what the respondent says, what the witness says, uh, and what the what documentation or other evidence you have that might back up one or other side of the story. Um, and then if you have found inconsistencies or um, you know, something like that, uh, or that one version of events seems more credible to you than the other, uh, then you can highlight that. But you can't just say, I think it's more credible, full stop. You've got to say, I feel it's more credible because, and list out the reasons why it's more credible. Um, and you have to be very careful in doing it. it it's something that even really experienced investigators struggle with. Um, but you will be bringing into it things like demeanor during interviews, um, evasiveness maybe during interviews, um, consistency during interviews um, and throughout an investigation. Uh, people who resile from a position, as in change the story, um, when questioned or um, throughout the process um, and you will be weighing up what you've heard uh, and making that assessment. So it's, um, it is tricky, it is tricky. Um, it's, it's one of uh, the topics that Rebecca and I debate regularly um, with each other around uh, credibility and assessments of credibility and um, you know what whether you're on solid footing or not when you when you're weighing that up definitely um, not easy yeah and an important thing to discuss and I suppose then Rebecca it sounds like a kind of a tricky thing to report as well I suppose so I mean how important is it to kind of document those kind of things correctly Rebecca in particular those things that are maybe a subjective right way to to put it to kind of, kind of credibility inferences, that kind of stuff, how important it is to report it in such a way that it's correct and accurate? So I suppose that the time and effort that goes into documenting an investigation is really a, a worthwhile investment and it's important for a number of reasons. So if an investigation is well documented, from the company's perspective, it's going to limit your exposure to claims or potentially bolster the ability to defend a claim if one arises. But also importantly, from an employee's perspective, it can really strengthen their confidence in the company's processes and can reinforce feelings of being treated fairly and, you know, whichever side of the fence they might be on. So well-documented investigation reports, you know, they should also demonstrate that an investigator made a good faith effort to get to the truth of the matter and should also serve to minimize any allegation of bias on the part of the investigator. And so just touching on something Mary said there, you know, witness backtracking or self-editing, you know, when recounting an incident is, is quite a common occurrence, I would say. 
um, particularly if events took place some time ago, or it can just even be a person's natural pattern of speech, recalling details later on. Oh, I remember actually this person was also in the room. And so it, it can be quite an, a, a natural phenomenon. However, a change in information can also be material to an investigator's assessment of someone's credibility. So it's really important to capture in your report where those changes occur and not just include a final edited version of somebody's evidence. Um, so it may be appropriate to ask a witness why their evidence changed and include that. Um, you know, give the explanation for that as well in the report. So again, something Mary touched on, if you're weighing up evidence and you're leaning towards one person's version over another, it's important really to set out clearly why that evidence is more credible. And we can use terms in the report such as, on balance, I find I prefer the evidence of X because of or I find wise evidence more compelling because, and note why you came to that conclusion. And it, you know, if you tend not to believe a witness, you must explain why, um, why you don't find that evidence credible. And, and the more documented examples you have of that will give more weight to your finding ultimately. Definitely an important thing to, to note. And I think Chad about so delighted to, delighted to put that out there, I think. So thanks for that, Rebecca. Um, as well, kind of lead Linking on from that then, Mary, I suppose, when kind of reviewing the evidence, similar to what Rebecca's saying there, are there some questions or kind of a mental checklist you should be ensuring, you should be asking yourself to ensure you're kind of doing it correctly? I suppose a lot of it, Mary, is, if we revert back to last week a little bit, it's about making sure you know the the role of the investigator and you, and you kind of get the, I suppose, the, the objective of the of why you're doing this kind of stuff and looking back to the terms of reference, all that kind of stuff. But is there any kind of mental checklist, Mary, you kind of think about when you're kind of double checking your reporting? Yeah, it's something that I say to, you know, any investigator, new investigator that we bring on board. Um, I will always be saying, you know, when you're going to write the report, you generally have a very, very large file um, of information gathered, you know, in one way or another. You might have text messages, you might have video messages, you may have uh, emails from people, you may have documents provided, you may look at company policies and procedures, you may have a, a mass of information um, in front of you. And it can be overwhelming because sometimes it's like, where do I actually start? How, how do I begin to document uh, this information? And look, I, I've, I've dealt with many a HR person crying on the phone because they've taken on an investigation. They're trying to document it and the documentation piece of it is killing them. Uh, and they suddenly discover, A, I don't have the writing skills and, and B, I don't know where I'm supposed to start here um, and guiding and advising um, them has given me a good insight into, you know, the the difficulties attached um, to documenting uh, what you find you found. So the first thing I would say to you is the starting point is the complaint, let's say for dealing with bullying again, starting point is the complaint the allegations, what are they? And you go back to the original complaint 
um, and ensure that what you're reporting on is the complaint, not the other things that have been brought into the investigation. So Rebecca's point is very important. When you're talking to people during an interview, um, you know, some people are very succinct and to the point and direct and are able to provide you with 20 pieces of evidence to support what they're saying. And other people are vague and uh, disorganized and emotional or angry or, you know, upset. And that doesn't mean that their evidence isn't genuine um, just because they're not able to articulate it as well as somebody else. And there's a huge variety of, um, you know, information that you'll get in writing. And you know, in my experience, uh, writing is a, a unique skill that uh, people possess. And some people aren't very good at outlining what they have to say in writing, um, either from a grammar perspective or from a just plain written English perspective. And their meaning may be misunderstood, too. So you've got to weigh up all of these things um, and be very clear about what it is you're doing. So starting point, the complaint, um, the terms of reference. Ensure that you stick to both of those and that you don't stray off with all the other information that you manage to gather during that investigation if it's not relevant or if it's outside the scope. Uh, then you have to ensure um, that you're being fair, that you're not being biased, that you're being neutral, and that you're looking at the evidence with a, a very clear head um, before you're making your finding. And usually the way I do it anyway is I will write down and document what um, each party has said. So if it's, for instance, that, um, you know, somebody punched me and there's uh, three people, you'll have the person who claims someone punched them, you'll have the person who claims they didn't, and you might have a witness who claims they saw it or didn't see it. You weigh it up and see what information you have. And you don't base it on whether you really liked the individual um, who was said to have punched someone and disliked the witness and disliked the, um, the, the, the complainant. Um, you can't make those judgments. It's, it's about being neutral. And I find when you step away from the individuals um, themselves and only look at the writing, only look at the evidence in front of you, forget the, the faces, forget the tears, forget the anger, forget um, all of those things about the actual investigation itself and focus only on what you have in front of you. And that helps you to be neutral um, and to be independent. It, and it's really, really important. I can't emphasize it enough. Um, we work very hard here to ensure that our, you know, no bias comes into the report itself 
uh, and the investigation, of course, but the report itself, because ultimately that's the document that uh, you will be sending individuals. And, you know, honestly speaking, people get upset when they see it. You know, if, if you accuse someone of punching you, um, and cite a witness and believe that this has happened and I find that there's no evidence to support it, you're going to be upset with me, without a doubt. I, I expect you to be upset with me. Um, but as long as I have done the fairest job I can do in the most neutral and independent way that I can be um, and ensuring that I'm not operating to anybody else's agenda, that it is based purely on what is in front of me, the evidence that I have in front of me. Um, they're, they're, they're my top tips mm. in a long-winded fashion, Owen, but they're my top tips. Yeah, definitely no important to lay those out as well. And I suppose, Rebecca, how important is that clarity and planning before you jump in? Because there's a, as Mary said, there is a few things that have to be in there. So going in with a, a plan, I suppose, I say plan, but that might be the wrong word, but with clarity on what you're going to do. Absolutely. It's always good to have a plan own. Um, yes, it's it's so important when sitting down to start the report writing process or ideally actually before you even close the information gathering stage. And as Mary said, refer back to that original complaint or allegations or whatever it is um, that's being investigated. And organize your evidence, do a thorough review and, you know, ask yourself, are you satisfied that you've pursued all lines of inquiry? Have you established the facts? Is there sufficient supporting evidence to either substantiate a claim or refute an allegation? Um, are there other avenues available? And, and you know, it, it, it's not always the case that there has to be corroborating evidence, if we're, we're talking about credibility specifically, and it is a matter of he said versus he said, um, and, and no supporting evidence, then as an investigator, are you satisfied that you can make a finding of fact based on your assessment of credibility of the evidence that has been presented to you? Um, and, and that's where you start with your report. Perfect. And I suppose kind of, as we move through the report, just kind of a natural flow to the conversation here, me, I suppose, when it comes to that, the findings, Mary, uh, at the kind of end, let's say, so what should we be, be kind of laying out in the findings? I mean, there's a few things there on kind of facts, inferences. I think I think balance of probabilities is something you mentioned before. So how can we effectively summarize that? What should we be laying out when it comes to those actual bits at the, the end? Uh, and I use uh, apostrophes for that. Okay. Um, so I think as a starting point, uh, it's important to remember that uh, your you're basing it on the civil uh, standard of balance of probabilities, which is that something is um, more likely to have occurred than not, rather than um, guilty beyond reasonable doubt, okay, which is, which is the criminal uh, standard. And um, what that means you're able to find on balance that something was more likely to have occurred than not. Now, this is difficult for um, 
the individuals involved in a, in a complaint. Uh, and I really do appreciate that because, you know, they're not uh, versed nor experienced in the differences between the balance of probabilities versus guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And sometimes people feel like you're, that's your opinion that you're expressing as opposed to a finding of fact. Um, it is difficult to establish a fact and it's something that you have to really seriously question in yourself is that my opinion or is this actually a fact a fact is something that you can back something up with so if i find it was more likely than not that somebody punched somebody um based on the credibility of the people interviewed, uh, I have to be able to support that with the why. Why did I find one version more credible than the other? Um, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But by, by far the easiest uh, way to go about reporting is when you have the fact. So the fact is, um, you know, Mary punched someone. I'm using myself here. I would never punch someone. Listeners just know that I've never punched anyone in my entire life and neither have Rebecca or own who I'm going to use also in this example. Um, so please be sure to know that we do not go around hitting each other in this workplace. We definitely don't. But if, um, you know, we look at a, a scenario where um, I punch Owen, I'm going to pick you. So I punch you and uh, you report it and uh, Rebecca is your witness. But Rebecca and I are best friends. And um, the investigator can then take into consideration the fact that uh, Rebecca and I are best friends and that Rebecca's version of events might support mine. Um, rather than yours uh, based on an existing friendship between us. And as the investigator, um, I might need to factor that into a consideration, which we do all the time. That's the, that's the way in which we operate. So we will always at every interview try and establish what the relationship is between parties. Um, so that we understand, are there relationships outside of the workplace? Uh, are there romantic relationships outside of the workplace? Are there friendships outside of the workplace? Are there very close working relationships that might impact on our assessment of something? Um, so by far the easiest is um, own, something happened to own. It was witnessed by Rebecca and three other people and or five other people or 10 other people. And therefore, we have fact that this, in fact, occurred. Now, if there's only um, me and you own, then it's up to the investigator to make a decision on whether they believe you more than me. Um, and the investigator has to be able to back it up. A lot of investigators will fall back on they can't uh, make a finding based on the information they have in front of them. And honestly, my view is your job is to make that decision. 
that's what you're there to do, to weigh up the evidence, weigh up uh, the individuals that are in front of you and come to a finding of fact. You're serving no one if if all throughout your report you, you can't make a decision. You're sitting on the fence. Um, you know, and that's why it's so important that it's really clearly thought through. But for any of our listeners out there who are writing a report um, right now at this moment in time, just be careful. Be very, very careful um, when you find on the balance of probabilities that something was more likely to have occurred than not. You have to back it up. You have to have good reason for it. Um, and you can't just have it out there as, you know, um, Mary punched own. Um, and there's no witnesses, nothing. We have to say why we didn't believe um, Mary. Yeah, definitely. Important to have all the all the facts and everything laid out. So it's important to spend a bit of time on that one, Mary, definitely. Um, so Rebecca, arguably probably the most important question I'll ask, I think, today. Um, when it comes to writing the report, Rebecca, how important is it to do so in a way that makes it suitable to the final reader? I mean, this could end up uh, being read in the WRC, whatever maybe you'll go into detail on where it could end up, I suppose, Rebecca, but how important is it to make sure that you're tailoring it, well, not tailoring it, but making it readable, accessible, clear for the, the final reader? So really the top tip there, Owen, is just to keep your language clear and simple. That is the key. As you say, um, it's likely that, you know, you should always assume that it will be read by a third party. And whether it's a HR manager or a high court judge, um, you know, clear and simple language that there, there can be no ambiguity um, in what is being reported. So, I, I mean, just an example, when I moved to Sydney, I remember it was starting doing workplace investigations. I had just come straight out of the law library, you know, and one of my mentors there, Jessica, she was just a brilliant, no-nonsense, factual investigator. And, and initially, my reports would have been full of opinions, full of legal jargon, thinking, oh, I'm doing a great job here. And I learned very quickly. Um, and Mary would say the same, I'm sure, that that's really the opposite of what you're looking for in a factual workplace investigation report. Keep the language easy to understand. And, and look, investigations can have varying degrees of complexity. And that is often related to if it's a specific industry that it's related to or if, for example, there's a lot of financial data, which is double Dutch to me. Um, everything needs to be broken down, simplified, make it easy for the average Joe to read who can understand uh, what is happening and, and outlining the facts in a basic, simple way. That, as I say, anyone across the spectrum is going to understand what has happened and why you've come to your findings. So clear and simple is the key there. And definitely, and that's the whole point of, of what it is and why you do it. And so I suppose kind of final question, Mary, obviously we've discussed a few bits to it there and it seems like there is a lot of things to consider here, but obviously a lot of support is available and a lot of expertise out there for, for people to, I suppose, get some help with uh, workplace investigation reports. But is this typically something, Mary, that an organization should get external support on? I suppose it's a it's kind of a subjective enough question, but I mean, the report itself, is there is it important to get kind of second opinions, external support, that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, you're you are on your own mm. when you're writing an investigation report. So usually, you know, you might be part of a team of investigators. Usually, it would be no more than two. Okay, um, and generally it's one person. So, you know, the way we do it here at Insight HR, there's one person who uh, does the investigation, writes the report. Uh, um, of course, we will internally edit and review, uh, review and edit, uh, excuse me, rather, th rather than the other mm -hmm. way around, but review and edit just for things like grammar and simplicity and ensuring that uh, dates and uh, times and, and details are correct. You know, it, it can be very hard when you're writing a report, particularly on something that's quite complex or that has gone on for many months. And it can be difficult to find, see your own mistakes, find your own mistakes. So, you know, my view would be generally when something has been investigated, there is usually a single investigator. Now, if you think about... Um, conducting your own internal investigation. And, and look, we provide supports for people to do that. We have an online uh, training course for uh, investigators, which really is for HR people who are interested in, um, you know, advanced skills in this area. Um, it's not really for your, your lay person as such. It, it's geared towards HR people who need to strengthen their knowledge and, and skill in this particular area. And that course, we do provide things like um, suggested questions and, um, you know, information about um, dignity at work in particular, uh, about how to go about writing the report, how to treat the evidence. We do have a, you know, a, a sample reports, the sample terms of reference and, and um, you know, those kind of templates that are invaluable. And I really wish had been there when I first started doing investigations because I couldn't find anywhere any information that was helpful or Irish or relevant. So if you're handling uh, workplace investigations in-house, you must have training. It's as simple as that. Otherwise, you're walking yourself into a bit of a nightmare. Um, because as Rebecca says, if something goes as far as the high court, and you can never tell what will, as I always say, irrespective of size of organization, anyone can employ uh, an Enoch Burke. Anyone can employ that person who's prepared to go to the nth degree because they feel that they are right. Um, and so you have to be prepared that any report that you write can step outside of your organization and be viewed and re reviewed and criticized by third parties in terms of your fairness. So if you're going to do them in-house, my view is absolutely train your managers. If your managers are doing them for you, train them. Ensure they know what they're doing. Ensure that there is support and advice for them. Um, as they go through. And that may be that, you know, they have a, an experienced investigator on hand to to kind of guide them around what they can and can't do without, of course, breaching any confidentiality or, or GDPR rules or anything like that. Um, 
and it's important then that you're you understand what you're doing before you start um because you can absolutely get bombarded with um by trade union reps solicitors barristers employees themselves if you don't know what you're doing so that that's my tip if you're doing them in-house um I would also say if you're going to look at outsourcing an investigation, you really do want to know that the people you're outsourcing uh, the investigation to knows what they're doing um, and is prepared to sit um, in a witness box if required. Uh, at some future date. Um, I think I mentioned on last week's podcast about that case where an accountant uh, had done an investigation on behalf of a client of that accountant's. And the accountant attended the WRC hearing, presumably, you know, didn't enjoy the experience, let's say, and walked out of the WRC hearing saying he was too busy and needed to attend to other matters. Um, and that may well have been true. Maybe he had other clients waiting for him or whatever. But you have to be sure that whoever you engage is is prepared to sit in the stand if you need um, them to stand over the report that was written. Um, and also that they have to skill, the experience, the resources, the expertise in-house and that they've done these before. Um, there's many uh, practitioners out there who have set themselves up as workplace investigators who actually haven't done them or haven't done them uh, at any kind of serious level before. And again, um, you take a risk when you're dealing with those people. So I would say, obviously, you know, we do them. We have a division. Um, we have it headed up by um, Marion Galvin, who's a, an ex-Garda, fantastic at what she does. Uh, and very, very knowledgeable, obviously, about anything that, that fraud, theft, you know, anything that strays into the, the criminal side of things. But, you know, we also have a super team uh, in there and a super knowledgeable group of people right across the business because we were specialists in this area. So, you know, I would always say a call to us doesn't cost you anything. Um, we'll be very straightforward uh, around how we approach these things. If it can be resolved informally, we will be telling you that. We will be encouraging you to try and resolve this through mediation or through facilitation or to avoid getting into a workplace investigation. Because once you're there, um, you know, it, it's it's it can be a runaway train uh, too. So we're very much about being proactive and, and avoiding getting yourself into this situation. But if you're there, if you find you have a serious issue and you need somebody that you can talk to about potentially doing it, make sure they know what they're doing. It's key. Definitely. And look, as we always say, a lot to think about there, but a lot of support also available at, at almost any stage of this kind of process. So delighted to, to get the insights and the and the advice there. And uh, so thank you, Mary and Rebecca, for a very, very good discussion yet again. Um, and as I said, Mary, at the outset, it was as good as we knew it would be. So appreciate the, the guidance there. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for an excellent tomorrow to our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels and do send in any questions you have on this topic. Uh, if you are enjoying these episodes, do 
please feel free to share them with your colleagues, friends, and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate it too. Uh, and as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Rebecca. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.